I want to tell you a story this morning, a story about a little house bird who lived in a gilded cage. The little bird's name was Chippy. What a great name, Little Chippy. And Chippy was a canary that lived a good life in a good home in a good neighborhood with good owners. Chippy had everything he needed or could ever want. His cage was kept clean. He had plenty of food and water to eat and drink. He received just enough sunlight to make him feel alive and well. And Chippy had a lot to sing about. So he spent his day singing cheerfully and boldly to the glory of his owners. But one day while Chippy was securely locked in his gilded cage, minding his own business, taking a nap, the new maid who was vacuuming the drapes near his cage, you can see it coming, can't you, was startled for a moment by the house cat that ran near her feet. In her startled condition, she jumped back with her hands raised in the air, and she accidentally placed the wand of the vacuum cleaner into the cage where little Chippy was sleeping. And unbeknownst to the maid, little Chippy was sucked into the vacuum cleaner system and ended up in the waste bag with all the filthy dust and dirt that had been picked up during the cleaning process. It was not until the maid later dumped the dust and dirt out of the vacuum bag that she discovered the filth-covered frame of poor little Chippy. The maid, afraid of what the owners might do if they discovered Chippy in that condition, rushed to the kitchen, placed Chippy under the faucet, and turned on the water. The maid washed and scrubbed little Chippy until his feathers started to look like they were getting clean again. But Chippy's appearance still presented a problem. For now, Chippy was soaked and wet, and his feathers were all frizzled. So the maid took out the blow dryer and blew its cold air all over Chippy until his feathers became somewhat dry. Then the maid placed little Chippy back into the security of his gilded cage and left him there. When little Chippy's owners came home later that day, they approached Chippy's cage and greeted him as they usually did. They were expecting to be greeted by the sweet sounds of Chippy's cheerful singing, but they noticed this time there's something different about him. Chippy was still in his golden cage with all his conveniences nearby, but Chippy wasn't singing like he used to. Chippy had been sucked in, washed over, blown out with a cold wind to the point that he just didn't feel like singing his song anymore. Maybe there's some of you here today who feel like the events of your life have treated you some way the way Chippy was treated. Maybe life has sucked you into some bad situations and maybe caused you to make some wrong decisions. Maybe life has washed over you with the filth of this world and you just don't feel like you're good enough to accomplish some of the things you'd love to try. Maybe life has blown you out so far that you can't find your way back to holiness and, and purity. Maybe you feel like you've been treated unfairly and you've been given an extra heavy burden to, to carry, an unnatural load of, of suffering, and just to the point that like that little caged bird, Chippy, you've also lost your ability to sing your song with your usual excitement and joy. It is true that we as human beings do not understand why it is necessary for pain and suffering to occur in our lives. We have been taught the great American way, that if we work hard and we're studious, we set realistic goals and we plan well the steps that are necessary to achieve those goals, that everything ought to work out all right. 
Yet each and every day, we often find ourselves faced with yet another situation, another problem, another disappointment, another setback, and maybe even another failure. And we justifiably begin to feel like that little canary in his gilded cage. Well, the truth is you're not alone in this condition. We must all face certain amount of disappointment, sorrow, pain, even suffering in life. The these events have been and always will be part of living on this earth. We don't like it very much, but that is the reality and the dimension in which we live. Even though we must acknowledge the truth of this, we also have to admit that maybe we're not very good at dealing with those kinds of tragic consequences. It continues to be a problem for, for many of us. You know, I've often thought, had I been consulted about the matter in the first place, I probably would have suggested to God that my life should go differently. <laughs> you ever done that? Without any painful experiences at all? Wouldn't you prefer to live your life without any problems, without any pains, without any disappointments? Just enjoy your gilded cage. Last Sunday in our text in Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul took us to the pinnacle of glory. At the end of verse 2 of chapter 5, he says, We exult in the hope of the glory of God. We exult in the hope of the glory of God, the hope that includes beyond this existence, one day where all pain has ended, where all tears have been wiped away, where all suffering is gone, within those pearly gates, on those gilded streets, the existence and glory where we're going to be like Christ. Because we will see him as he is in all his glory, and we will see him just as he is, and we will be like him. But then Paul adds a very strange thing in the next verse, in verse 3 of Romans chapter 5. Not only do we exult in the hope of glory, verse 3, and not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Paul had said that we exalt in the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Oh, what a day that will be when we see Jesus. But we also exalt in our tribulations. In the here and now, why on earth would we do that? It seems to make no sense wherever. Paul, I'm with Chippy on this one. <laughs> I want to, you know, look at that word tribulations for a moment, at least in the translation I'm using. We exalt in our tribulations. The Greek word is thalipsis, thalipsis. And the underlying meaning of Philipsis means to be under pressure. The word was used of squeezing the olives in a press to extract the oil. In fact, it's very similar to a word that we have in the Hebrew. The word we have in the Hebrew is Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane comes from two words. One means wine press. The other means oil. Gethsemane was the place where they had the wine and the oil presses that squeezed the fruit. The Garden of Gethsemane was a place of pressure where the oil and the grapes or the olives were pressed out. It was also the place appropriately where Jesus felt the pressure of taking the sins of the entire world upon himself. Like Gethsemane, Philipsis means heavy, heavy pressure that squeeze in something out of us. Why would we rejoice? Why would we exult in this kind of pressure? Well, let me give you some reasons that we see here. The first reason that we would exult 
in tribulations is this kind of suffering is the only path to glory. Did you know that? You don't get there any other way. There's no other way to get there, no other way to glory. The suffering in verse 3 is the path to the glory in verse 2, in which we exalt. There's no other way to get there. Turn over to Romans chapter 8 for a moment. The 8th chapter of Romans at verse 16. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Verse 16 has that wonderful promise of God. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. A spirit-to-spirit communication, testimony. We know directly to our spirits from the Holy Spirit that we belong to God. We are his children. We could preach on that for a couple of weeks. But we go on to verse 17. And of children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Everything that belongs to Christ through Christ also belongs to us. If indeed, uh-oh, condition. <laughs> if indeed, Paul gives a condition, if indeed what? We suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. No suffering, no glorification. Suffering is the path to glorification. Now the word if here does not mean it's a possibility. We often use the word if that way. But here, it's a second class condition of the first whatever in Greek, as, as I learned at one time. But the word if here means an actuality. We could use, translate it the word since in our language. It means that suffering is an actuality. You will suffer. Those who are the children of God, those who are joint heirs or heirs with God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ will indeed suffer with Christ and will be glorified with Christ because suffering is the only path to glory. The way of suffering is the only way to glorification. The Apostle Peter adds in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, For you have been called for this very purpose. Have you ever included this in your calling? You're called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. His steps of what? Suffering. Suffering. Well, the Apostle Paul knows that just stating the fact of suffering and the path to glorification is not enough to give us cause for rejoicing, for exalting in our tribulation. So he gives us more, much more. The chippies among us need a lot more help here. So we go back to verse 3 of Romans chapter 5. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Why? Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. Perseverance or endurance. So if suffering leads to glory in the end, suffering is the path to glory, the glory that we will receive in the end, then suffering, Paul says, also leads to something here and now. In the meanwhile, suffering leads to maturity. And we're going to see that described in many ways. Suffering can and should be productive. Suffering leads to perseverance, he says. But it's only productive if we respond to it in the right way. If we see it from God's perspective. Not with anger or bitterness. And we know this especially from the experience of God's people in every generation. That suffering produces perseverance. 
And Christian history is filled with examples of ordinary people enduring great suffering and being able to withstand sorrow and suffering for God's glory. And the only difference between them and some of us today are the attitudes that they embraced in their hearts. Their hearts were not filled with despair and hopelessness. Their hearts were not filled with selfishness and self-centeredness and disregard for others. Their hearts were not filled with a callous and insensitive pessimism. But they took to heart the words of the Apostle James. So turn once again over to, to James' letter. James chapter 1, the second verse. Remember how James said it in James chapter 1 as we read it, beginning at verse 2? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why? Why, James? Look at what is produced here. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's our word again. It's translated perseverance. Endurance, perseverance. And let endurance have its perfect result. So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Ordinary Christian people have been examples of enduring great suffering because basically they took two approaches to their lives. And, and it's good for us to see these and remember these when we face the trials of this life. And the first approach to life was that they rejoiced in the midst of their hardships and their sufferings. In other words, they, they looked for the result, what God was doing in their lives, what God was producing, the, the product of their lives, the same way that the squeezing of the grapes or the olives squeezed out a wonderful aromatic product. In some instances, a sweet, sweet wine. You know, they looked at that. They, they knew that these came from the tragic occurrences that they encountered. They looked for what God was doing not only in their lives, but to their lives, who they were in Christ. They looked at how their experience would make them more like Christ in their trials and in their tribulations. They walked in his steps. I did a little searching this week because I kind of remembered a story and then I found it. In 1938, a black gospel pianist by the name of Thomas A. Dorsey went through a very difficult time where he lost both his wife and his newly born baby. Both of them died in, in childbirth. And Thomas A. Dorsey is considered to be the father of gospel, the father of gospel music. And by his own testimony, he said he couldn't spend his life sitting around feeling sad no matter how badly he felt. So instead, he put pen to paper and told the Lord how he felt by writing the words of one of his more popular songs. You'll recognize the song. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Let me stand. I'm tired. I'm weak. The way he wrote, he says, I'm lone. We say, I'm worn in our hymn book. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord. Lead me home. When my way grows drear, precious Lord, linger near. When my light is almost gone, hear my cry, hear my call. Hold my hand lest I fall. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. When the darkness appears and the night draws near and the day is past and gone, at the river I stand, guide my feet, hold my hand, take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on, let me stand. I'm tired, I'm weak, 
I'm lone. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. Thomas Dorsey knew that as long as he kept his hands in the unchanging hands of God, God would lead him and guide him through every storm, every condition that the world could throw at him. In the second approach of those ordinary folks that exhibit extraordinary abilities to withstand the pressure was that they persevered in the midst of their disappointments. The testing of their faith produces endurance. The word per perseverance here means to exist in a state of patience or endurance. In fact, in the King James Version, it's, it's normally translated patience. The idea here is that when we respond correctly to our disappointments, we gain the ability to withstand, to hang in there, even when the going really, really gets tough. I'm going to give you a lot of Greek words today because the word in the Greek that is translated perseverance is made up of two parts, two different words. The prefix hupo, H-U-P-O, means to be under or below. The rest of the word, mone, hupo mone, mone means a living place where you dwell. The whole, world, or the whole word put together simply means to live under the weight of something that's constantly pressing down on you. In other words, hupomone means to withstand the philipsis. <laughs> the philipsis, the pressure that we're able to stand under that weight, that extreme pressure. And so it's not surprising that hupomone, perseverance, was also used of describing the crushing of olives and grapes, like Gethsemane. Why? To extract their valuable oil in the crushing of the grapes, to press out those fine, aromatic wines. Why are they crushed? To get that wonderful, aromatic, sweet product. We cannot learn endurance without suffering. Because without suffering, there'd be nothing to endure. And the point is that Paul's making, you don't develop endurance unless you go through trials. And then James says, you're not complete. You're not perfect if you don't have endurance and all that it produces. You don't have to endure when everything's going your way. It's not difficult to trust the Lord when you're experiencing nothing but blessings, right? But will you endure by faith when life is hard? Will you trust God and submit to his mighty hand and put your hand in his when you lose your job, when you're going through a hard time in your marriage, or when you're diagnosed with a serious disease? And next, Paul says in Romans, perseverance produces proven character. We're coming to the fruit proven character. Back in Romans chapter 5, verse 4. In this chain of things that happen, and perseverance, add the word, produces proven character. Got to give you another Greek word. You're going to be a Greek scholar by the time we finish today. <laughs> the word translated proven is another one of those great words in scriptures. It's the word dokome. Dokome. Remember the Greek word we've talked about before, dokamos? Anybody remember that? Dokamos means to be approved, to be tested and approved. The word dokamos was used in the, the refining process of precious metals. The, the ore would be melted and boiled, and the scum and the dross would rise to the surface, 
and that would be skimmed off and the remaining gold would be pure and when it hardened, they would stamp the word docomos on it. The approved, it's been approved, it's been tested, it's been pure. That, that's docomos. The word related to docomos here in Romans chapter 5 is docome. And docome refers to the quality of a person. What is the quality of a person who has been tested and has passed the test? Elizabeth's going to go through a test. She's going to go before her advisors and other faculty. She's going to have to defend her, her, uh, her thesis in front of them. When she has passed that test, it will be because of her character, who she is, what she wrote, and she passed the test. Dokame refers to a mature character, a proven character, a person who has passed the test, the person who under all this pressure brings about a proven, tested, mature character. And the word was used in ancient Greek to refer to the temper of the veteran as opposed to the raw recruit. I've never been in the military, but I've seen a lot of war movies, and I know they always start with, you know, they got all these guys that are brand new, the newbies they call them today, the raw recruits, they don't know nothing. They do all stupid kind of stuff and those kind of things. At least that way it happens in the movies. It happens that way in the real military, doesn't it? <laughs> Guys are shaking, shaking their heads. And uh, so the Daka May was the sergeant who had been to war, who had fought, who knew how to lead men. And that was the, the Daka May as opposed to the raw recruit. And once again, we see the Apostle James take on it back in James chapter 1. The 12th verse, James chapter 1, verse 12, where James writes, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, Dokimus, once he has that stamp of approval, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And then there's one last link in the chain is that character produces hope. Hope. Proven character produces hope. Back in Romans chapter 5. It is our experience of coming through a time of testing that produces hope. Our confidence in God's ability and, and willingness to bring about through difficult times. And, and he gives us an ever brighter hope because God was faithful and we know that he works. And then we have hope for which lies beyond. And so I'm going to quote another gospel singer at this point, Andre Crouch. And we know the words of this song uh, where Thomas A. Dorsey was the father of gospel. Uh, they consider Andre Crouch to be the father of modern gospel. And you know these words, you've heard them before. I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There's been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave me what? Blessed consolation that my trials come to only make me strong. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. I've been to lots of places. I've seen a lot of faces. There's been times I've felt so all alone. But in my lonely hours, yet those precious lonely hours, Jesus lets me know that I was his own. I thank God for the mountains. I thank him for the valleys. I thank him for the storms he brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem, I wouldn't know God could solve them. 
I'd never know what faith in God could do. Through it all, through it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all. I've learned to depend upon his word. And the reason our hope will never let us down is that God will never let us down. This is where we get to the crux of why we can endure and why we have proven character when we go through troubles. This is why our, the pressure, we can allow it to squeeze out that, what God wants us to and that wonderful product. And, and we see this in our text in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. That in suffering, God assures us of his love. God assures of his, of his, his love. Verse 5. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So, so Paul has traced the sequences of a chain reaction. From tribulation to perseverance, from perseverance to proven character, from proven character to hope, and then he adds, hope does not disappoint us, and it never will. How do we know this? What is the ultimate ground on which our Christian hope rests? What is our hope of glory? It's the steadfast love of God. The reason our hope will never let us down is that God will never let us down. His love will never give up on us. And how can we be sure of God's love? You know, to be sure of God's love, if a child wants to be sure of God's love, his parent or his, his or her parents' love, if he wants to be sure of their love, the, the child, let me put it this way, to live a healthy emotional development as a child, they need to be sure of their parents' love. To be sure of the love of a spouse or a friend is necessary and conducive to human fulfillment. To be sure of God's love brings even greater blessings because the surety of God's love is the major secret. It's the source of joy, of peace, freedom, hope, confidence, well-being. And we see in verse 5 that God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. This is the first mention of the work of the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans, in the life of the Christian. The work of the Holy Spirit teaches us some important lessons here. And the first is that the Holy Spirit is God's gift to all believers. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to all believers. All believers, not just some believers, all believers. Here in Romans chapter 5, Paul is listing the blessings. These are the consequences of justification by faith alone. Remember that, justification? We studied that for several weeks. These are the consequences. These are the things that happen because we are justified by faith. In other words, if you are justified by faith, these blessings belong to you. So it's not possible to be justified by faith without the same time, at the same moment, being regenerated by the Holy Spirit and indwelt by the Spirit of God. We are given the Holy Spirit of God the moment we believe in faith in Jesus Christ who died for our sins on the cross. Now, you wouldn't think we'd have to say that, but we have to say that because there's people all over this land at this very moment in churches all over this land that are praying to receive the Holy Spirit. And they've already got the Holy Spirit if they're already in Christ. You know... What insecurity would that would bring that I, I don't have the Holy Spirit? No, we have the Holy Spirit. 
And secondly, the work of the Holy Spirit teaches us that the Holy Spirit who was given to us was given to us at a particular time. We've kind of already mentioned that. Look at that phrase, was given. Throw a little Greek on you again here. It's in the aorist tense. That means it happened in the past with continuing results in the present. It's something that happened in the past, but it continually gives us, it has results now. And so the Holy Spirit was given to us at what is popularly called conversion, or what Paul says, the moment we were justified, we were given the Holy Spirit. The moment you received Christ and believed, the Holy Spirit was given to you. You don't have to pray to receive the Holy Spirit, or you don't have to reach a certain level of spiritual maturity to receive the Holy Spirit. At conversion, at regeneration, when you were born again, you were given the Holy Spirit. He indwells you. He lives on the inside of you. He empowers you, and this is the important thing in our text, he empowers you to endure under pressure. Trying to think of a good illustration all week to, to illustrate this. I just couldn't come up with one. But uh, suppose you were a balloon <laughs> and you were filled with air or you were filled with water and the pressure comes and, and what happens? <laughs> it, it burst. But suppose you were filled with something that could resist all pressure. What if you filled it with concrete? The Holy Spirit in us is giving us that power, that ability to endure. And then thirdly, this is the big one. Having been given to us, one of the Holy Spirit's distinctive ministries is to pour God's love into our hearts. The idea is that he has done this in such a way that the initial outpouring of his love remains a permanent flood within us. The same word for pouring out was used in reference to Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And here Paul doesn't write about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as much as it is the outpouring of God's love that comes with the Holy Spirit by the ministry of the Spirit in our hearts. Pouring out refers to a lavish outpouring to the point of overflowing. And this is the cool thing. Our Heavenly Father does not ration out His love in measured drops, but in immeasurable torrents. God does not ration out His love in measured drops, but in immeasurable torrents. One of the difficulties that we have when we're going through hard times is we start to doubt. And what do we start to doubt? That God loves us. That God loves us. Paul is talking here about God's love for us. and He does not see suffering as an indication that God does not love us. And quite the contrary, he'll show us at the end of, of chapter 8, in verse 35, he says, Neither tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, sword can separate us from what? The love of God we have in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from God's love. So what do we do? We keep our focus on God's love and we can exalt in our trials. Paul says that God's love has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Immeasurable God's love. You know, I've often said, you cannot do anything to make God love you more. 
You can't do anything to make God love you more because he already loves you with an everlasting love. He's already poured out the love of God into your hearts. But also, the opposite is true. You can't do anything to make God love you less. Can't do anything to make God you less. He loves you. The tense poured out indicates the past action with continuing result, which especially points to God's great love as we experience it at the time we are saved. Given points to the fact that the Holy Spirit is given to every believer at the moment of salvation. Because the Holy Spirit of God, Holy Spirit is God, it means that God Himself comes to dwell in our hearts. And the Spirit makes us aware of God's great love. And He did that initially by sending His own Son to die for us. We'll see that in just a few verses as we study Romans. Poured out implies an abundant, continued supply of love refreshing us sustaining us especially in our trials this experience of God's love comes to us when we meditate and look on the amazing truth of the gospel that the father loved us so much that he gave his eternal son who willingly took on the punishment that we deserved so that God could be both the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. As we saw it a few weeks ago with the words of Charles Wesley when he put it to song, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Don't ever get over the wonder of it. Let the Spirit wash you daily in the amazing love of God. You know, in your trials, you need to remember whether your trials are big or small, minor or great. Remember Jesus' words they told his disciples before going to the cross? Jesus said, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, what? They'll also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know the one who sent me. And what I want you to see in these verses is, did Jesus' trials ever make Jesus doubt that the Father loved him? No. No way. Of course not. Neither do your trials. Your trials don't mean that God doesn't love you. To exalt in trials, what we need to do is drink deeply of God's great love, that love that is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which he gave to you. And we're going to be talking much more about that love next time because we're, with verse 6, we're going into one of the great portions of Scripture. I, I happened to come across a, a sermon series that somebody did that said, the great chapters in the Bible. And this chapter 5 is considered one of the great chapters of the Bibles. We'll go on to talk about God's love. But I want to close it this way. Because James Montgomery Boyce concluded his sermon on these verses by telling how the church in China was growing exponentially during the terrible persecution under the communists. The more they persecuted the church, the more people were saved and the more the church grew. And an American student was going to Hong Kong to study the Chinese church, and before he left the States, a friend asked him, if God loves the Chinese church so much, why does he allow so much suffering to come upon it? The student had no answer for that. 
But after he had traveled to China and had talked in depth with many Chinese Christians, he decided to go back to America and ask his friend this question. If God loves the American church so much, why hasn't he allowed us to suffer like the church in China? That's a good question because trials do not harm us. Rather, God uses them to shape us into the image of, of Jesus Christ as we walk in his steps. He uses them to strengthen our hope of heaven. Trials are part of the all things that he works together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And as one pastor closed at that point, he says, even as strange as that may seem, <laughs> we can exalt in our trials. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, as we come to you in prayer, and uh, I pray that the, the chippies among us <laughs> have a greater sense of hope and strength than, than we did when we started to study this portion of Scripture. I know that it has blessed me, it has strengthened me as I've studied it this past week, Lord. And uh, I pray now as we even go into next week and we study the great love that you have for us, God, that uh, you'd continue to use your words from the book of Romans to, to give us strength, to give us hope, no matter what the world throws at us. And even when we wonder and look at you, God, and we say, why, I don't understand this. And even when we doubt, Father, we thank you that your love is so much bigger, so much greater than our doubts, our struggles. And Father, in them, you are producing a weight of glory in us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.